Hello and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl, And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. Okay, Rick, we got a good uh, show today. We're going to be talking to Chris Whipple, who has written the definitive book on White House Chiefs of Staff. And uh, he's got a new chapter on rights Priebus. And he's got some very strong opinions about... The, uh, the, the Trump White House and John Kelly. So that is coming up very shortly. It's an interesting week to talk about your chief of staff because we've seen staff turmoil begin to bubble over once again. The president's chief economic advisor, Gary Cohn, announcing his resignation. A big shocker. John, you can sort of set a timer to it. Every couple of months, yep. there's yep. going to be a story where the only the only story really is staff turmoil. And all of 2018, you can you can go back to Steve Bannon and his self-immolation around the uh, uh, around the book where he uh, flamed out and was pushed out. Uh, follow that right through Rob Porter and uh, and Hope Hicks. Uh, there was the Scaramucci. Uh, the Scaramucci I mean, era. That's right. And and then and now through the the, the controversy over Omarosa? Jared Kushner. I mean, well, don't yeah, Omarosa I mean, somehow the White. House is still functioning yeah. without Omarosa, uh, but but the issue is now. Nick Spicer's still gone. I mean, there's it's been a lot. We of... could do a whole show just listing <laughs> the names, couldn't we, of the oh people God. that that are gone? And, and I think you know, the, w- there's a lot of intrigue and a lot of questions around. Can Jared Kushner continue to do this job every day? Uh, it, given the questions that have been raised around his security clearances and his actions inside the White House, and I would also argue that we're starting to see real policy components to this as well. By all accounts, and including your reporting, John, uh, the president uh, made an announcement. Uh, last week uh, on tariffs on steel and aluminum that came out of nowhere. And a, a normally structured White House with the staff processes and the controls and the and the, the make, making sure that all the, the dots are, are, are on the I's and the T's are crossed, all of that was out the window because the president decided he wanted the trade war. A fellow White House reporter uh, from another news organization ran in to the Treasury Secretary, Stephen Mnuchin, just before like less than an hour before <laughs> the tariff announcement was made by the president last week and asked him if it's coming, and Mnuchin said no. So, Does this have anything to do with money? I don't know. Does the, <laughs> you'd think Treasury, maybe. This, this caught everybody by surprise, absolutely everybody by surprise. And, you know, they, we still haven't seen the act. He hasn't signed anything. It's still the, the, the paperwork wasn't ready. It hadn't gone through legal, whatever the hell they do with tariffs. It hadn't been done. Yeah. So, you know, now I think you saw the markets rebound, I think because there was some feeling, well, maybe it won't actually happen. I asked the president in the Oval Office when he was there with with Netanyahu, uh, you know, if he's going to back down because Paul Ryan's begging him to back down. And he said, no, I'm not backing down. So I don't know. So, so how does this relate back in your mind to the staff piece of it, John? Because uh, it, it does seem, and I've talked to people on the inside, formerly on the inside, you talk to even more of them. It's chaos. It's daily chaos. The the backbiting, the the questions that are raised, just the, the normal structure of a White House that is torpedoing its own best opportunities along the way. It just seems like every day gets consumed by sideshows when there's real shows to, to, to be performed. But but it's also in policy, as you've pointed out. So you, you had the, the back and forth on guns and where the president is, and he convenes the bipartisan congressional you know, leaders on the issue and goes one way, comes back and has a uh, you know, late night meeting with the NRA after that. And, you know, who the heck knows where he is on guns? We saw it on DACA. Right. Um, so there's there's kind of a policy chaos as well as a staff chaos. And perhaps the policy chaos is more important. I mean, it is hard to know. And if, I, I have to tell you, it feels a little bit to me going in that building every day. Of late, it has felt 
more like it did during those first couple of months of of the Trump White House, where it just you know we had executive orders flying everywhere, and we had we had um, you know scandal and controversy, but also just kind of a policy chaos. And it seems like we're it kind of feels like that again. And I, I mentioned Steve Bannon a moment ago, but you I imagine him. Bannon smiling out of all of this. I mean, he loved chaos. The, he loved chaos. He also loved tariffs. He loved this America First yes. piece of it. And so has he's, Bannon been more influential since he left? I, I mean, I, I mean, not directly. He's not like, I, as far as I know, he's not you know talking to the president. But maybe he is. Steve I, Bannon I had the best week in Washington. He really yeah. did. And, and and it didn't and he didn't have to be anywhere near the White House. At least not, not that we know of. Uh, yeah, and and it, he also won in uh, kind of in Italy too. That's I mean, right. You know, that's right. The nationalists about chaos. Yeah. And then. And, and then another uh, another thing to layer on top of all of it, because you can't go very far in talking about this White House without talking about the Russia probe, the bizarre musings playing out live on cable television by a certain aide that we've – a friend of the podcast. We've had him on. Sam Nunberg was – was we, we had a special podcast. We it did. was an emergency podcast. Do you remember? As I uh, recall, it was because he was getting sued by Donald Trump yes. for breach of confidentiality agreements. And we had an extensive podcast. Like yes. it, and Nunberg is, is somebody – Go back to the archives. Yeah. Yes. This is, this is a good one. And – and Nunberg is somebody that we know well because he was the very first paid political staffer uh, on the Trump presidential effort before there was an actual campaign. Trump hired him to uh, basically lay the groundwork. Yeah. And, um, you know, Trump had, you know, advisors like Roger Stone and what, but this was the first person on staff paid. And that was, to me, the first indication that Donald Trump was serious about at least considering running for president because he was actually paying somebody. That's right. He was paid. And, and he doesn't he, like to pay. That's a that really good point. He was paid for a while. And then, of course, they stopped paying him. He had some internal clashes. He got fired. He, he got was at sued. war basically had, every day with, uh, with Corey, Corey Lewandowski, Lewandowski for the yeah, first couple of months yeah. of, that, of that campaign. I mean, right. absolute war. Right. And he was fired. And he was fired. And then, which and, was a, either the second or third time he'd been fired by Trump, by the way. <laughs> on, which, but that happens in Trump world. We yes. should point out that doesn't set him necessarily uh, apart. Very close to Roger Stone, as you mentioned. Uh, but a peripheral player at best, I think, in the, in the White House era. He's not known to have any regular contact with President Trump. He pops up in news stories as someone who um, is familiar with the, the, the goings-on and the workings around this. he was this. gone before the second debate, wasn't he? He was, he was gone very right, early. Right around there. Yeah, very early in the campaign. Uh, but he pops up. Primary debate we're talking. That's right. Like That's way, right. Going into the, the, the yeah. summer of 2015, yeah, he was already yeah. gone. So long before the Manafort era, long, a year before uh, Paul Manafort. And frankly, long before there was a there was a lot of talk about Russians. I mean, there was, you know, yes. I mean, yes. and, and, and if the Russians, the Russian, uh, the Russian efforts to interfere with our elections obviously predate Trump's candidacy. But in terms of boosting Trump and thinking that Trump was going to be a candidate who could win, I don't know that there's a lot of evidence that the Russians were... Uh, were, were engaged in anything before Trump, before uh, Nunberg was, was long gone from that campaign. So, so puzzle me this, John, because that leads to this week's developments. Uh, Bob Mueller, whose charge is investigating... The, he's a special counsel. Special counsel who's looking at Russia and the Russian meddling. And we don't know where else he's going in all of this. He's already gone into some new places uh, with regard to Paul Manafort and Gates, uh, is interested in talking to Sam Nunberg. So Sam Nunberg gets a subpoena. Uh, the details of the subpoena, we subsequently learned he leaked out to a bunch of news organizations. Yep. Uh, he said he had an initial meeting with Mueller's team. and then Five he comes, hours, he said. That's right. And, and he said they were professional and they were within their scope. Then he comes out Monday and says... I'm done. I'm not going to the grand jury. I'm defying the subpoena. Come arrest me. Because they asked him to turn over all his emails back and right. forth between Bannon, Roger Stone, Corey. Uh, but those would be some fun ones. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
but then, but then, but then it gets weird. Uh, and, and oh, it did get weird. Yeah, did. all those. I, you know, I tried not to pay too much attention, but we do have a clip. What, 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 help me out. Well, this? so, so this was this is this is one of the things that that may have gotten. Bob Mueller's interest because he was quoted in uh, in the book Fire and Fury, which we mentioned a few minutes ago, that Steve Bannon was also quoted in, in talking in talking about how there's no way that President Trump didn't know about that Trump Tower meeting. Here's what he had to say about this very infamous meeting between uh, Don Jr. and Paul Manafort and Jared Kushner and someone who purported to represent Russian interests. You know it's not true. He he talked about it a week before, and I don't know why he did this. All he had to say was, yeah, we met with the Russians. The Russians offered us something, and we thought they had something, and that was it. I don't know why he went around trying to hide it. Now, so, the he, in that, the he in that is President Donald J. Trump. He's saying that Trump met with the Russians as well as Don That's Jr. Right. Met about it, knew can about I, it beforehand. Can I, can I please point out something? Because yes. I, and I'm going to do a little, I'm going to even do a little media criticism. Here, go, go, please. I don't, don't want to like... But Sam Nunberg had been gone from the Trump campaign for almost a full year before that Trump Tower meeting. Why do we think he has any idea whatsoever whether or not Donald Trump met with the Russians? Well, Why do we think his opinion on that is worth any more than the guy that I would go out on the street and ask? Well, I, I, Mueller clearly thinks enough of it to ask the questions. Maybe that's why he wants to see the emails. Is it? Let me ask you this: Is it he, beyond he, the possibility? He, he was, not only that, not only that. By the time that Trump Tower meeting, go back and he was he had endorsed Ted Cruz <laughs> for president. But is it is it possible? You remember Lion Ted? You remember all I that do. stuff? I remember. He all went that. to the president's enemy. Uh, uh, at, at the tail end of that campaign. So, do you think Mueller is just absolutely fishing in the dark here? He is just he is throwing out a line because I, I don't know what know Mueller's that... doing, but I, but I think that the fact that he goes on um, uh, uh, CNN and says, "Oh yeah, of course Trump met with," uh, and and then everybody you know, and then he, and then it's dominating all the cables, and everybody's saying, and and the other line he he said was, "Oh Trump did something." I think he yeah, did something yeah. with the Russians. This is an opinion of somebody who worked for Trump. Before all this stuff was yeah, happening, yeah. so maybe he's got some insight into how Trump operates, but l- let's not pretend that this is some kind of a smoking gun. I mean, well, please. Well, maybe, maybe there's an e- well, If he's not wanting to show these emails, maybe there's an email there. You can see why Mueller would be interested in learning more for that very reason, because uh, uh, clearly, clearly he is purporting to know things or have certainty around things, whether he has that certainty or not. He also threw out another theory, and uh, this one maybe even have less potential basis. He also called it a witch hunt, too. He yeah. said Trump is right, it's a witch hunt. That's right. So I'm and, a little confused. And that's why he's not playing in it, and, he, and we can talk about his contradictions in a moment. But he had this to say about Carter Page, and Carter Page, we remember uh, him as someone that the president named as a, as a key advisor, although, again, he was kind of a peripheral player in, in all of this. Uh, he has come under Mueller's scrutiny as well. This is what he thinks about Carter Page. Yes, I believe Carter Page was colluding with the Russians. Okay, stated as an opinion there, John, but that's a big one. I mean, if if it's established... Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Was Carter Page involved with the Trump campaign in any way before um, Sam Nunberg left the campaign? Probably not. Okay. Almost certainly not. But I... Somebody's opinion. So the parlor game in, in Washington, John, and I'm sure you can play it better than I... What the heck is Sam Nunberg up to? Did he did he go out there 
Does he want to go to jail for not cooperating with Mueller? But now he's saying but then he will he's, Then he's backtracking on that. Did he, did he want to make a fool of himself in a series of national television issue, interviews, culminating with one where he was uh, questioned about whether he was drunk on air or, or on drugs of some sort? He said he was on antidepressants. Did he, did he want to implode him, his whole career? Was he trying to curry favor in some kind of backward way with Donald Trump and people By around Trump? By saying he colluded? By saying he colluded? No. Was he just looking to be on cable TV all day and looking for 15? Is this just a, a flashy thing? Or is there another play in all of this that we're not thinking of? Is this a Roger Stone dirty trick that's played out in the in the 21st century news environment of cable television? That he's getting something out there as a signal to someone or to, 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 to get Mueller off a scent? I, I don't know because this is, a, this is a strange one. Or maybe to make the whole thing look like a circus. Well, Just it definitely did the that. Whole thing. He did that. So I, the answer is I have no idea. But I, I will say that there was something incredibly odd about the fact that, that you could turn, you could, you could look up at any point yesterday afternoon at all three cable news stations. I mean, <laughs> two most of the time actually. But it wasn't a huge story on Fox, although although it it, it did play during the afternoon on Fox. Um, and see Sam Nunberg, wall-to-wall Sam Nunberg. This is somebody who you and I knew well because he had been on our podcast and we sure. had covered the, uh, the you know, Trump's very early uh, you know, exploration of, of a campaign. So we know Sam Nunberg. This is not somebody that most people knew, uh, knew about. This was not a key figure uh, in, 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 in the Trump campaign after it was underway. I mean, he was certainly a key figure in getting him started. Right. First, right. first paid political staffer, but this is not somebody that that you know. We, I mean, I don't, do you think that he had been mentioned in any of the network newscasts before oh uh, yesterday? No. And maybe, when he, maybe, maybe when Trump sued him uh, for after he I'm got not fired, even sure it was, that it was made worth it. a mention. Uh, but, uh, but but I'll tell you that all of this makes me think. If I'm Bob Mueller, first of all. I'm making sure he cooperates with that grand jury, and it sounds like he will. Secondly, I really want those emails. I want to know what he was talking about with people up to and including the president, even if it's a very early early time. Let's Certainly, say he knows nothing. Because Mueller's going to be thorough. But, yes, but, 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 but John, let's say he knows nothing about this stuff. Let's say he knows nothing about Carter Page or the meeting at Trump Tower. What does he know and what gets turned up in communications with people like Roger Stone, like Corey Lewandowski, like President Trump himself? Going back to 2015, what comes up there? I, who knows what those Can guys? I make were a prediction. About? You make a lot of predictions. I'm going to make a prediction. Go. When this is all done, and someday we're going to be sitting down here at Powerhouse Politics, and we're going to be looking over the Mueller report, and we're going to be looking through all the appendices, and we're going to see all, we're going to see everything. We're going to see what he was doing, what his uh, theory of the case is, all of that. We have no idea what Mueller really has. My prediction is the name Sam Nunberg will not come up in our follow-up um, um, uh, conversation on this, and it won't come up in anybody's follow-up conversation. This will be an asterisk somewhere. He will not be a key figure in the Mueller investigation, period. End of story. My prediction. You can play this tape again if I turn out to be wrong. Well, first of all, you're a bad better because all I have to do is, is start talking about Sam Nunberg and, and I win the bet. <laughs> but, but I take your point. I take your point. And I don't know. I, 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 think, it, I think you're more likely right than not that he is a peripheral player at best. And Some people are saying, who was that guy? That, remember that? Remember it that? was just what like one of those that? weird things that happened in 2018 that there was a whole day where everyone was talking about <laughs> Sam Nunberg and no one remembers it again. But I'll tell you, if there's something there, and and this was who, for whatever reason he was trying to, to 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 make a big show out of having nothing to hide. But if he does have something in there, man, that's big because I feel like now we have essentially confirmation that that Mueller is looking well beyond issues of Russian collusion, backtracking to the time that he started that's running true. for president. So that's true. So I will say the one thing that is important in all of this is that Sam has come out and he has shown 
the world what the subpoena looked like and what Mueller was looking for. Now, I don't think he's going to find a heck of a lot in terms of in terms of uh, you know Sam's files on this, but this shows what he is looking for. I, I assume very similar subpoenas went out to, to others. Right. But I don't think Sam had anything to do with any collusion himself, and I don't think he was a witness to any collusion himself. Um, and I think that if we had him on right now, maybe we'll bring him back on the pot. Sam, if you're out there, he's we'll bring you else. back. Why not? Let's bring I mean, you back next not? week. Uh, um, and we give him and we gave him a lot of credit on this podcast for being, you know, the guy that was the first to uh, to be hired and to take seriously the idea of a Trump presidency. And I think you could argue he was mistreated to be to be ceremonially fired, yeah, ceremoniously fired. Um, you know, after after being the guy that kind of kind of brought him there. Um, but but I, I you know, in terms of of this investigation, I think that's why you know one thing that he said in all these interviews is he was outraged that. Mueller was demanding all these emails he had. Cause what 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 relevance is? And I think he had a point. Yeah, he yeah, had a point. It, I think he was right. Yeah, and 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 now that he uh, he will tell the story to a grand jury uh, uh, later in the week, we're told. Uh, I guess it all gets hashed out. And and maybe you're right. Maybe we're not talking about Sam Nunberg anymore. Uh, Unless he comes on the podcast and we talk about other things. I mean, <laughs> you know, right. there you go. Fair enough. I mean, we 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 talked all kinds here at Powerhouse Politics. Why not? We bring it to you before you see him everywhere. That's yes, what say. It's the, way before the Powerhouse Politics. Way program. before. All right. Well, we've got to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk to Chris Whipple. This is the guy that wrote the definitive book on White House Chiefs of Staff, New York Times bestseller, uh, serious guys, become quite a critic of the way this particular uh, White House and its Chiefs of Staff, including the current one, have operated. We will be back with Chris Whipple in just a moment. Are you hiring? Join the over 3 million businesses that use Indeed.com for hiring. You can post a job in minutes and manage your candidates from an easy-to-use dashboard. Post your next job on the world's number one job site, Indeed.com. Turmoil continues in the Trump White House as top economic advisor Gary Cohn resigns, and our guest today believes that chaos will only continue to dominate this Oval Office. We're joined now by Chris Whipple, the author of the New York Times best-selling book, The Gatekeepers, How the White House Chief of Staffs Define Every Presidency. So I've got to start right off because you, 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 this is an incredible book. You, you're now out with a, with a paperback new, uh, new chapter on, on, on Wright's Priebus. But um, you've interviewed every living chief of staff. I think it was at 18? 18, including Priebus. That's right. Um, you know, so you, you, you find certain commonalities in the role uh, of, of, of this, uh, you know, critical, critical White House staffer. Did you have to kind of rewrite the book when it comes to Trump? I mean, is there any commonality in the role of a chief of staff in, in, in a Trump White House uh, than all of the others? Well, you know, what, what happened was I, I wrote the book, spent several years doing it, finished it right before the election, and then, like everybody else, uh, shocked by the result, I uh, scrambled and wrote a hasty epilogue in which I predicted that if if Donald Trump, of all people, the ultimate outsider president, did not empower a White House chief as first among equals to to help him uh, to govern, that he had really no chance of governing. And um, I think that, you know, I don't take any particular uh, pleasure in having been right about that, but, you know, for the first six months under Reince Priebus, that was certainly true. And, you know, Trump needed an empowered chief more than any of his predecessors because he came in with absolutely no idea how to govern. 
He needed somebody who was empowered. He failed to understand that he needed to empower Reince Priebus. Kelly, of course, is another story. And in, in my mind, Kelly is, is really almost the, the greater failure because Kelly was empowered in a way that Priebus never was. And I think he's failed uh, the job at, by almost any measure. So I remember the uh, when, when Wrights got the job, and, and we, we had all known known him pretty well in his you know role as RNC chair. Uh, he got the job, and they they put out the press release announcing it. And <laughs> I remember he was number three on the list. Uh, they had the chief <laughs> yeah, strategist, exactly. Steve Bannon. They have Jared Kushner. I forget what was what was Jared's role announced at that point. What, what was the title? But it was three. It was it was a three headed chief. Yeah, and yeah, it was. And, and, and the it, guy it, with the it, chief of staff's title and, and his office uh, was listed third. Yeah, it was. It was the mo- the model here as C. Bannon, who, who whom I also interviewed for the new chapter. By the way, Bannon said the model was the twenty sixth floor of Trump Tower. Now that's a disaster uh, of a model for running the White House because, as we as we all know by now, that that had everybody coming and going, nobody empowered, no chain of command. Um, if you want to go back in history, Jerry Ford tried something very similar with everybody just coming and going, nobody empowered. He called it the, the spokes of the wheel with the president at the center. It was a disaster. It lasted about a month. Jerry Ford was smart enough to figure out that that didn't fly. He got Don Rumsfeld to come in and really organize the White House. Um, <clears throat> Donald Trump is a slow learner, a lot slower than Jerry Ford, uh, alas. Uh, and to this day, I don't think he understands the importance of a chief, and in particular, how important it is for the chief to help him to govern. You know, Trump still doesn't have a clue about governing. He thinks it's all about campaigning and dividing and demonizing. Uh, so, by all accounts, there, there there has been more structure to the to the uh, Oval Office operations under <clears throat> under uh, the chief of staff John Kelly. It isn't. Quite the Grand Central Terminal of, uh, of of Trump Tower and uh, in the Oval Office anymore, and yet, and yet, you still have the president's son-in-law as a senior advisor and his daughter working in the White House, and that that kind of tussle around that does is it your sense that that you're doomed to failure if you have other people empowered like that, particularly family members empowered and senior advisor officials? You can't really ask any chief of staff, I don't think. To, to say, well, the president's daughter and son-in-law report to you. Well, it's not easy. There's no question about it. But if if you look back at Ronald Reagan and, and James A. Baker III, who was really the quintessential White House chief, Baker had to deal with family. You know, Nancy Reagan was famously the personnel director uh, of that White House. Mike Deaver wasn't family, but he was like a son to Reagan. And Baker was smart enough to form alliances uh, with Nancy, with Deaver, so that when the hard-right ideologues came after Baker, the pragmatist, he was uh, savvy enough to be able to fend them off. So you have to be really politically savvy. Um, And I don't think John Kelly has demonstrated any political savvy uh, since he's taken over the job. I think he's out of his depth. I think that this, you know, it's not easy, but it's it's met, you can manage family if you're if you're clever enough, and I think Kelly's just failed in almost every way. You know, he his own narrow definition of the job was to make the West Wing more efficient and uh, manage the paper flow. 
we look up and there are 30 people without security clearances, including the guy who's in charge of Middle East peace. You know, so it's a disaster. Yeah, the president at the at the gridiron the other night made a joke, uh, a couple of jokes that cut close to home. One is he he said he was late getting there because Jared Kushner couldn't clear security. <laughs> he yeah, also exactly. <laughs> he also said at one point, "I like chaos." Now he's he's been on Twitter since then saying there is there is no chaos, but there is something to my mind about the chaos theory of this White House that it, that it governs by chaos that he likes to throw a lot of things out there and that chaos inside his west wing uh, actually is partly by design do you pick up on that at all and if, if I, other you know, presidents ever tried it, it i don't buy it for a second <clears throat> I, I think it's chaos and and ineptitude at levels we've never seen in in modern history maybe in history um you know reince Priebus said the other day um that Let's look at the results. You know, chaos sometimes bring about, brings about results. Well, chaos didn't bring about any results in the first year of this presidency. The only way they got tax reform passed was by keeping Donald Trump 100 miles away from it. You know, everything he touches turns to dust. And I think it's just complete ineptitude. I don't, I don't think there's any method to the madness or the chaos. I think it's just chaos. And I think that it, the result has been the most dysfunctional, least accomplished White House in modern history. Okay, well, let me let me attempt to push back a little bit on this, just because you, you you've been you've been very forceful <laughs> and, and made made no doubt about about what your analysis on this. But let me let me just let me just push back for a minute. Um, if you look on the international side, we have uh, the North Koreans. Uh, suddenly meeting with the South Koreans, uh, Kim Jong-un actually welcoming a, a delegation from the South Korean president, talking about a freeze uh, in the nuclear program as, as, as talks go forward. Um, we have a, uh, a, 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 the military talks about having a freer hand in terms of strategy against ISIS. And there's been, now you could say that this was, you know, a follow-on of, of, of Obama's strategy, but clearly there's been more latitude given to the military. And we see ISIS defeated in, in, in Iraq and uh, for the most part in Syria. Um, on, the, uh, on the domestic front, uh, this has in some ways been a very consequential uh, presidency um, in terms of um, what's been done to roll back much of what Obama did, especially in the area of regulation. Um, part of what Bannon talked about in terms of the chaos theory was you, you, you put up enough smoke and you go in a bunch of different directions that you can actually, uh, you know, sneak stuff by. Um, yeah, and and, and hasn't, at, hasn't this White House actually, you know, I mean, hasn't... No, only, only, in the, only in the most limited possible sense. I mean, if, if, you, if you define governing as being a, a human wrecking ball, then, then yes, you can argue that, uh, you know, they've ripped, they've ripped up regulations. Uh, the, um, the stock market obviously continues on the trajectory that it was already on with Obama. Um, the, a, a bit the accelerated. ISIS, we, were, we were on the same trajectory with ISIS. You know, you can always point to Kim Jong-un suddenly suggesting that he's going to talk to uh, the South Koreans or to us. But, you know, there's no, I, I, I suspect it, you can't really trace that to, does anybody really believe that's because he was taunted as the as little rocket man? 
So uh, you know, it's it's a really it's a reach. I mean, well, the first well, if, year if, if, of this presidency, this was a completely broken White House. It couldn't pass legislation. It couldn't issue executive orders that were enforceable. It couldn't get anybody on the same page. It couldn't prioritize the president's agenda. Nobody knows what the agenda is to this day. Well, let, uh, let, Trump let's... is not only inept at governing, he doesn't know what he's for or what he's against, which, which we've seen with the tariffs and which we've seen with his comments about gun control. So I think it's, it's chaos, and Kelly has failed to help Trump understand that there's a difference between campaigning and governing. Well, I, I, I don't, I don't want to have a debate on, on North Korea, but, I, but I'm not saying because he taunted him as little rocket man. I mean, we, we, we did have a failing North Korea policy under uh, uh, George W. Bush and a failing North Korea policy under Barack Obama. Um, and actually, you could probably go back and say a failing North Korea policy under, under Bill Clinton. Um, and what what the argument you could say that, that that we've that's been different here is not simply that he taunted him or said irresponsible things at the UN, uh, yeah. but but that he's injected a a sense of unpredictability um, uh, into the <clears throat> in, 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 into the calculus here, and that well, the, I don't the, think any of us can say at this point. I mean, on the I mean, basis where it's of one go. feeler that that North Korea has sent out about being willing to talk. I don't think anybody can say that this had anything to do with Trump's uh, Trump's policy here. So, you know, I, I mean, we'll see where it goes. But in every other way, this White House on domestic affairs and foreign affairs, especially, as you well know, nobody's on the same page. You know, Tillerson is saying one thing one day, um, and Trump is saying the opposite the next day. Uh, allies are completely confused. Now we're on the verge, possibly, of, of trade wars. Um, and it's clear that Trump doesn't even understand, you know, the, the consequences of those actions. So I, I just think it's, it's a disaster. I think it's chaos. You you relate a, a pretty riveting scene based on your interview with Reince Priebus uh, that goes back to uh, the early part of, of last year, although I guess it could play out again today given the president's criticism of his attorney general. But Jeff Sessions had actually quit, according to, to, to Reince yeah. Priebus, uh, yeah. and was in a driveway outside the, the, the White House when Reince Priebus runs out there and flags him down and says, no, you're not allowed to quit. And he talked him back into unquitting or staying in and, le- and then convincing the president not to accept the resignation. It seemed to me that, that the, the point that, that Priebus was making there was that sometimes you, you judge a White House chief of staff based on what doesn't happen and the things that get blocked. And I've heard yeah. General <clears throat> Kelly right. describe the job in, in roughly similar terms and that you wouldn't believe sometimes what, what doesn't happen. Is, yeah, there, exactly. is, that, a, is that a fair metric? Yeah, I, I think it's I, – well, there's something to it, I think. I mean, it's certainly worth considering. I mean, Priebus, the first thing he said to me when we sat down – off the record was uh, take everything you've heard and multiply it by 50. <laughs> and and his point was, in part, that for every ill-conceived, half-baked uh, order that they that they tried, like the like the executive order on immigration uh, at, at the very beginning of the presidency, there were ten Probably. ten worse ideas that Priebus felt he was able to stop. And Bannon was joking with me. He said it wasn't 10. Wright stopped 20. Hmm. And 10 of them were my ideas, (laughs) Uh, he said with a laugh. 
And um, so to some extent, yeah, I mean, that's that's an important part of the chief of staff's job, maybe the most important part, which is being able to walk out of the Oval Office, close the door, and tell the president what he does not want to hear. I think the two best guys in history at that were probably James Baker and, and Leon Panetta with uh, Bill Clinton. Uh, those were grounded, confident guys who could do it. <clears throat> I don't think Priebus and Kelly have uh, been anywhere near as effective as those guys. But in fairness to Priebus, I think he probably threw his body in front of some bad ideas. But, I mean, it's hard to imagine two, at least stylistically, different chiefs of staff than Reince Priebus and John Kelly. <laughs> uh, I wonder, yeah. especially given your overall analysis of, of this Trump presidency, if you think anybody would do this job uh, uh, effectively. And, <clears throat> and, 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 and while you answer that, can you give me your prediction? How long does Kelly last? And... Who would be the best person to go in there to replace him, given what you know about this president? Yeah. Let me, let me answer the first part of the question with a, with a quick story that I tell in the chapter uh, of the paperback, which is that back in December of 2016, 10 former White House chiefs came to the White House at the invitation of Dennis McDonough, who was the outgoing chief, to sit around a table and give Priebus their best advice. And... They all told him, they, they all agreed that he needed to be empowered to, to do the job properly. Uh, but i got to say that virtually every one of them walked away from that meeting knowing, given, given the nature of this president, who is, let's face it, intellectually and temperamentally unfit for office, they almost all of them came away thinking, God help him, God save him, good luck. You know, this may very well be mission impossible for almost any White House chief of staff. And, of course, the trouble is, you know, there aren't a lot of Jim Bakers and Leon Panettas around. Um, so I think that Kelly has failed in, you know, even by his own limited definition of the job, which was to make the trains run on time, because clearly the trains are off the tracks now. Uh, I think he's failed in the larger sense of telling Donald Trump hard truths and helping him to govern. But I'm not sure he's going anywhere anytime soon because, you know, as we've seen with Trump, he blows hot and cold. You're in the doghouse one day. You're out of the doghouse the next. I think Kelly's probably okay for the time being. And and who, you know, who in his right mind or her right mind, given the nature of this president, um, would want to step into those shoes. All right. Chris Whipple, a fascinating book, The Gatekeepers, a book about the White House Chief of Staff, now with a, as they say, now with a new afterword, but a new chapter uh, that, that, that covers the Trump presidency that, uh, that causes you to rethink this position uh, quite a bit. Thank you so much, Chris. Thank you. Thanks, guys. I enjoyed it. All right. So, Rick, I will say, and I kind of wanted to just mix it up there a little bit because sure. it was such a dire uh, <laughs> assessment of, of the Trump presidency. I, I, I thought we were going to be talking about the role of the chief of staff instead of we were talking about the, uh, you know, <laughs> the impending doom and disaster everywhere. Um, I think that one thing that Trump has going for him is that over and over and over again, uh, his critics talk about disaster and overstate how uh, you make these dire predictions that turn out not to be true. Let's just go through a few examples. The tax cut was going to like 
be Armageddon, right. basically. And uh, resulted, at least, I mean, who knows? I mean, it's certainly adding a, a hell of a lot of debt, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but the tax cut... Uh, you know, seems to be uh, maybe not rocket fuel for the economy, but uh, but 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 certainly the markets like it, and it hasn't been the 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 the, uh, the total epic disaster uh, that was that was predicted. Um, you know, I don't know what's going to happen on the trade front, but you certainly have the uh, 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 the disasters uh, predicted. And you know, we mixed it up on, on on North Korea. There have been a lot of really smart people saying what to do in North Korea, and they've all completely failed. And one very smart um, former intelligence uh, official uh, who uh, worked for both uh, uh, Bush and Obama told me that one of the big problems in this is that the North Koreans could rationally uh, conclude that there is nothing that we will do to prevent them. That force is completely off the table. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's nothing that, 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 that we will do to really step in the way of, of, of their nuclear program outside of, uh, you know, more sanctions and how much more can you actually sanction them. Um, you know, so maybe some uncertainty in, in, in there won't be the total disaster that people have predicted. Maybe it actually, uh, you know, uh, rearranges things. But over and over and over again, uh, the, the the assessment, the, the the predictions that have come out is that what Trump is doing is going to ruin the world. And here we are, you know, we've had a year of uh, of uh, peace and relative prosperity. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm not, I don't know. I mean, it doesn't feel like it from where we sit because of the tumult of, of every. The tumult hour is, of I every mean, it's day. insane all around. But, no, it this is, does. It, I, I, it gets to, I think, a, a critical point that I guess the discussion about what staff is is that it, the, this you get the chief of staff that reflects the leadership style that you want in there and. President Trump ran on a promise to blow things up, and he is keeping true to that promise to his voters, that he is going to mix it up on issues uh, with personnel, with personality. He uh, he is using methods of communication that presidents have never used before. He is uh, policy-wise, he is contradicting himself all the time, it seems. And there's only so much controlling that you want. And and that that part at least is is by design. It would be it would be artificial to have a pow- an all powerful chief of staff who's controlling access to everything because that's not how this president said he would govern, and it certainly isn't how he's doing the job. I think you're right in the in the sense that uh, if you're if you're predicting the the end of civilization, you'll be wrong until you're right. I guess. Yeah, I mean, who knows? I mean, I mean if there's, 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 there's the nukes start here. flying, then it, I mean, it, we we could have a nuclear assessment. war and a trade war. I mean, I but uh, but I you know I don't know. I mean, it's. Um, and, and and you remember election night uh, when uh, you know Trump's surprise uh, victory, and then suddenly like markets around the world started crashing. Right, like it felt like you know, oh my god. And by the morning, you know, right. But and, and that's right. And but if you were if you were expecting the president to come in and immediately hire Josh Bolton or Andy Card or a Dennis McDonough type, kind of a low profile guy that that is all about the, the processes and uh, making sure that you have the right reporting structures, then you don't know Trump. That's never what he's done, and right. it was never going to be what he did. And it, yeah, actually, I, 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 Reince was ill cast for that. I think John Kelly is ill cast for that. Anyone other than Donald Trump is ill cast for that. He did not want. Uh, someone in that role that way, and he wouldn't operate that way. And I feel like part of his mo is to rage around the structures around him and to to vent about his staff. And that's that's going to be with us as long as President Trump is President Trump. All right. Well, that is all the time we have for this week's edition of Powerhouse Politics. Please take a moment and review the show on iTunes. You can also follow us at Twitter, especially. 
John Carl at John Carl. Okay, Rick Klein too. Uh, you can follow Rick on Twitter as well. And don't forget, you can find other ABC News podcasts by going to abcnewspodcast.com. Today's show was produced by Angie Yak, Dave Rind, and Avery Miller. We will be back at don't you. Don't forget Trevor Hastings. Oh, and Trevor Hastings. God, that was a great. He 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 came in and uh, that. <laughs> yeah. Where was Rind actually? <laughs> I know. We'll find him someday. All right. Well, thank you. We will catch you next week. Until then. I'm Jonathan Carl. Who are you? Rick Klein. Okay, great. Talk to you next week. (laughs)